0: Homeschool Expert is here to equip you to homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. Visit homeschoolexpert.com for video and print resources. Helping you homeschool confidently is our host, Ann Crossman, and her guest expert for today's special broadcast.
1: Hi, friend, and welcome to Homeschool Expert. I am happy to introduce to you my new friend, Jean Miller, who founded The Art of Homeschooling, cultivating creativity and connection at home. Jean has been in the homeschool world since 1996 when she began teaching her oldest kindergarten from home. Even though she has a Master's of Arts in Teaching, she never really planned on homeschooling. Decades later, her three kids have grown and flown, as she says on her website, and she's developed a full resource for parents looking to homeschool with the Waldorf approach. So I'm excited to have you here today, Jean, to talk more about what that actually means so parents can decide whether or not that's a good fit for them. Thank you for being here.
0: Thanks so much, Anne. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Very fun. Okay. So
1: let's start at the beginning with that little teaser I gave. What got you into homeschooling and how did that experience maybe differ from what you expected? (laughs) Such
0: a good question because I did not expect to homeschool. That was (laughs) not really my plan. I, um, I've always loved kids, right? I went to school for, we have this in common. I just listened to one of your podcasts. So I was, okay. a, high school, <laughs> I was a high school English teacher. There you go. And yeah. So uh, I thought that I would teach right in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And when the kids came along, they would go to the local public school and we'd all have summers off. That was yep. my, my vision. And I then, it became clearer and clearer. So I have uh, three children and the oldest two, it goes boy, boy, girl, and the, the oldest two are cl- very close in age, 16 Mm-kay. months apart, and, uh, and active and all of the, the things. And so when I started observing, considering preschool, I remember coming home from my husband saying, we need a Plan B. I don't know this is going to work. Yeah, because I had read an article, which is actually really good advice. That when you go observe in a classroom, find a child who's similar to yours and watch how the teacher interacts with him or her. Oh, that's a great tip. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> it just didn't seem
1: to be such a, a good fit. It's like For crowd this. control at some point. You're like, I don't know if he's getting anything, but he's staying in his seat. So that's a plus. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, except he wasn't even staying in his seat, yes. right? So the child who was just a little bit out of sync with what was going on, you know, in the classroom and wasn't really aware of that group <laughs> sense. Yep. And so yep. that was also my oldest child at that age and it's interesting because uh, when the kids were, when the boys were really little, um, like toddlers, we had visited some friends who were homeschooling. And so it, I think that planted a seed. So when that situation happened with going to visit preschools and I came home saying, okay, we need a plan B, it suddenly popped into my head, hmm. <laughs> at least for a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, yeah. So that's exactly what I thought. I thought, well, you know what? I'm trained as an educator. Why don't we homeschool for preschool and kindergarten? Right. Yep. And then, you know, reconsider. And then that led to, <laughs> I, I would have described my oldest as possibly the gifted behavior problem because he was he was so active so when i went to look yep. at first grades i was looking at a gifted program and it was very well designed but it still was clear that that was not going to be the best fit for him really at that point so um that had one of those the, too
1: yeah, yeah so super just, bright
0: but would never sit
1: down because he could only stand like, if he yes. was thinking he was, he was standing, he was thinking he was thinking he was standing. Yeah. And that yeah, did not go course. over great. Even some of the co ops we participated in, they're like, why won't he sit down? I'm like, that's why we're homeschooling, because that's how his brain works for right now. And he's matured out of it. He sits just fine now as a teenager, but. Yeah, it wasn't going to fly as a teacher, and you probably can agree with this. You know what flies in a classroom, what doesn't fly, that wasn't going to (laughs) fly. Yeah,
0: not going to fly, for sure. And this child we just visited uh, last week, he's 31 now, and he is a a district manager for a a large company, and he does his meetings while walking. And it's very interesting to me because that's how he thinks, right? There's something about the kinesthetic
1: Brain. Yeah. Because my son, he's only uh, 15, but he is very much engaged in robotics and a lot of the hands-on of computer programming and engineering. And yeah, they want to move their bodies while they're thinking. I think it should be
0: celebrated and (laughs) not squashed when possible. So yeah. 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 So isn't that so interesting? Because I think then I began, it it was eye-opening for me in those um, early years when we did start homeschooling. I just thought, okay, well, we'll make the decision year to year, you know, we'll reassess each year. And it just, um, what it really did for me was begin to open my eyes more and more. Um, my vision of what learning, teaching, sort of what education actually is just kept getting bigger. Yes. And then I realized, you know what, it just doesn't really fit inside of a building anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great.
0: So, Um, that was the beginning. And did you teach after you had your degree
1: before you had kids?
0: Yes. So I taught in a lot of different settings and interestingly, so my first teaching job was in a public school outside of Atlanta and I took over mid-year for a teacher who was leaving. And then I was rather disheartened by that experience. I had, um, mostly 10th and 11th grade students. And I felt like out of the, you know, hundred and some students, I mean, yep. my sixth grade class was, I think, 32 kids. Your sixth period? Sixth period. Sorry. Yeah. And and I, um, I was so disheartened that I thought, okay, like the spark seemed to be gone. There were maybe yeah. three kids out of the whole group, hundred and some 40 that I had who still had that You know, it's a look in their eyes. Right. That spark of creativity, I call it. And and I just felt like I need to figure like what other types of uh, methods, approaches to education Mm -hmm. are there out there. So this is before I even had kids. Right. Right. And and then before um, then homeschooling was on the radar for you. Right, right. And also yeah. the Waldorf approach. I mean, I I have a graduate degree, I have a master's of master of arts in teaching, and Waldorf wasn't even mentioned hmm. in that program. Montessori was. So that's yep. what I first uh, explored. And I went to teach, I went to work in a Montessori classroom as an assistant with my graduate degree. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, uh, and so that was interesting too. You know, I felt like I learned a lot about hands-on, like experiential learning. Yeah, and I'll want to like unpack a whole bunch of learning styles with you and a little yes. bit too,
1: because I think there's a lot, good stuff there and parents have a lot of questions like wait a minute Charlotte Mason classical what and so yeah we'll come back to that okay too so but I'm good. excited to get to that part of your story but before we like disappear from this one entirely I think the reason I ask um about your teaching background a bit is because when I taught I had been homeschooled and so, and I had been in the public school high school classroom and then of course it gotten my teaching degree and been to Stanford and Duke and and written books and taught in the military right so I started um teaching in the public high school. And no matter how hard we try, and I'm sure you were like trying so hard also, Jean, like I, at best on my best days, maybe got 50% of my kids in the class, like really focused with me, paying attention, learning because 30 kids, 45 minutes, oodles of distractions, passing out, turning in deadlines, yes. all that stuff we can accomplish so little in that amount That's of time. So yeah. And I think that was the hard part for me was just this heartbreak of, I was already working so many hours that at one point I did the math, what I earned per hour, it was like $2 and 17 cents. So I <laughs> yeah. encourage teachers don't ever do that math.
0: <laughs> but
1: like, I was working around the clock weekends, everything to try to engage all my kids with their learning methods, passions, motivate, just couldn't get them. And sometimes I would have like pull kids after class and just the one-on-one of five to 10 minutes, I might get a little light bulb moment for them. And it's like, oh man, buddy, I wish I could homeschool you (laughs) because you do just great. Uh, You just need this personal one-on-one. It's not that there was something was wrong with them. They just would have benefited it from from that more.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite experiences was this remedial class that I taught right before lunch. And it was five kids who were, there there were four boys and a girl who still were struggling with reading and they were in 10th grade. And the reason I loved that class so much, I remember reading Steinbecks of Mice and Men with them Mm -hmm. and they were blown away none of them had ever read a whole novel before ever in their whole life yep and and for those who haven't read that one that's a skinny one so it's a yes, it's totally it was digestible skinny, right yep. and it's not a and, scary looking big spine exactly and so and we did a lot around looking at the author's life and we did projects and you know a whole like a very holistic hands-on experience with it and They lit up. I mean, I it was an amazing experience for me, and I so that probably also planted a seed for me to think about. It got me thinking about how a small group setting Mm -hmm. uh, can make such a big difference for some. Because that was a
1: smaller number of students. I gotcha. Yeah, five kids versus you
0: know that six period
1: class of thirty two. I always feel like there's a magic number eight. If you have more than eight kids, you start to lose people. But under eight, you're like, I, I got you guys. We're all, yeah. there's enough yeah. time for everybody to talk. And yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So your three kids are now grown. How long did you homeschool them? And and what was the transition yeah. to college like? Where are they now? You know that?
0: Yeah. All good questions. So uh, homeschooled all the way through high school, two out of three of mm-hmm. them. Uh, so from the beginning, Uh, The oldest chose to go to, he went to a small private school in eighth grade and then our large public high school for high school. So similar to you. That's what I I did. Nice. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, And the other two chose to homeschool through high school. Yeah. Although I wasn't doing all the teaching. They were also taking classes at the um, local community college and, you know, doing a lot of other you know outside just our home experiences uh and aside from that the so all the elementary years and um middle school for all three of them are the exception is that um our youngest my daughter went to school for half of first grade cuz i was really sick at that stage in my life and uh mm, but I'm then sorry. we decided to come back to homeschooling so yeah after that yeah and yeah, so and, and- now Go ahead. All three. So I find it fascinating too, because with that idea, tying back to that idea of my, um, like my vision of education expanding right through mm-hmm. my, the experience with my kids. Uh, so I really wanted them to each really by the time they got to high school, choose what they wanted their high school experience to look like. And then also, um, not assume that they wanted that they were going to go to a four year college. That was really hard for me because I do sometimes say I, I have a bias, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I have family. My parents went to Bowden and Smith. I went to Vanderbilt. I mean, it was like, yeah, this is what you do. Not college and, is not an option for your family. Yeah. yeah. And yet I wanted them. To find their passion. That's what I wanted more than anything. So, oldest went to a competitive four-year school and grad school in math and then supply chain management. And then second one went to tech school because he wanted to be a mechanic and now awesome. he manages a team of bike mechanics for a large bicycle company. Awesome. In yeah. R&D, which is I mean he has an engineering mind, but a lot of his friends at the time were having were struggling getting jobs out of liberal arts college. experiences. And so he said, I'm not, I'm just not going to do that. And I think he made a great decision, right? Mm And and then our, our youngest went to a small, a competitive, a small competitive liberal arts school and just graduated with a degree in studio art, which is also like (laughs) "Hmm, now what? Good luck. Yeah, no, but that's, yeah. They found their passions, right. And they, they're figuring it out and that's what I love about both homeschooling and I think that and we'll talk a little more about this, but there is a foundational thread of that idea of kids finding their gift, right? And, going well, out and I was and gonna say that's pretty it. that's pretty extraordinary. If you look at a second, you've got a business management, yeah.
1: you've got someone very mechanically based, right? And then and then you've got art, <laughs> which don't have anything really to do with each other except that they loved learning and we had a way to pursue that and figure out what the next step was. Mm-hmm. And So for those who are, you know, concerns, I think I hear about homeschooling or, oh, you just put out cookie cutter kids. It's like, oh no, (laughs) none of them turn out the same. None of them learn the same. It's very customizable. Yeah, very customizable for sure. And I think you're right that the, we can use the, um, community college track to finish out high school or get college credits early or shuttle straight into vocational training. Uh, we once had a surprise renovation on our house, which was as much fun as that sounds. And I remember asking one of the contractors we had teams of them swarms of them all over the house. You know, if my kids were going to go into vocational school, what would you recommend? Which one? And they're like, oh, electricians for sure. And this was a plumber telling me, it's like electricians for sure. They make the most money. They never have to go any place gross and they get to stay in the nice air conditioned house while they work. I'm like, got it. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, Hey kids, military is an option. Like become an electrician <laughs> is yeah. a great thing if you and like, or go to college. Yeah. Lots of options beyond even those three categories, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And to recognize, I mean, oftentimes we don't, see the thread, right? We don't recognize, except in hindsight, like what our kids, because I'll say to parents, like, well, what are your kids passionate about? I remember thinking when someone asked me that, well, I don't know yet. <laughs> right. And yet I can look back like the the son who is uh, a bicycle mechanic. He's like, well, he took everything apart and he worked yep. in cars in high school. That was his big thing. And now it's landed with bikes. And so it, you know, it's, it's hard to not, know where it's going to end have to too. make some space, I think yep. for their interests and passions and, and, uh, you know, do the, whatever work we need to do to, to um, uh, temper our own expectations, <laughs> temper expectations. And I think also,
1: uh, do our best not knowing where our kids will end up to raise them with a lifestyle in which they can go any direction, right? I want them yeah. to have, this is totally off topic, but like, I want them to have excellent table manners. So if they have one of those business lunches where they have to sit down and impress the boss over lunch without realizing this is a test, which fork you use, right? <laughs> that kind of, or they need to have a wide variety of skills, cooking and cleaning. Cause they might make zero money. They could become a teacher like we did. They make almost nothing. And you've got to know how to make almost nothing and do the thing you love and and still survive well and have a family. Everything in between. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like that's our job to prepare them for the wide range of possibilities and then see where they go. I just talked to a homeschool friend last week. She'd homeschooled up until public school, put her kiddo in public school, and he's the second of four. And he was doing great. Everything's just wonderful. And then senior year for him, just Emotionally, the bottom fell out
0: mm-hmm. and he just
1: he just burned out and needed a break and found a, an interest in auto mechanics and just decided to go to a community college and and work on auto mechanic work for a couple of years. Got really well trained. Now it turns out Tesla wants him. And so Tesla's Ooh, just hired him to, to go do some work. For, they are thrilled because they're like, holy cow, you have all this hands on experience and you're bright. Do you know how hard that is to find? Mm-hmm. And so, well, so it's just you never know where you're going to end up.
0: One more quick story about that. So that's what our middle son did too, was community college auto mechanics was kind of where he started. I mean, after he had been tinkering on his own, but so then he went to, decided he wanted to work on motorcycles. So he went to tech school. He went to um, the Motorcycle Mechanics Institute, right? And and they he did not have a GED. We created transcripts and our own, you know, I developed, Mm -hmm. you know, the transcript. And so when he, Which for folks listening, you can now find those online, but yeah, keep going. Exactly. There are templates everywhere. Yes. And, and so when he applied, they said, well, you're going to have to take your GED. And he said, well, hang on, I have a transcript. And they were baffled by that. They're like, well, what does that mean? As soon as he sent them the transcript, they immediately replied saying, oh, never mind, You don't have to take the GED. (laughs) And I just found that so interesting because they weren't familiar with homeschooling, you know? And, um, and, but as soon as they saw what his experience was, not only with mechanics, but other subjects, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they accepted immediately. And so that's, my thing is, we really want to develop lifelong learners. And I think these days, you know, my grandparents' time, my grandfather worked for DuPont for his entire life, right? But these days, kids, uh, uh, young people, I think, just need to know how to learn something new, right? Like mm-hmm. learn how to learn so that when they are they get a job you're you're good. When they get a job, um they can find, you know, learn the skills for that particular job. Yeah, it's all about
1: retooling, flexibility, yeah. innovation, right? Those are the buzzwords now that we're hearing. Like and as a side note to your rep- record keeping, which frankly, like big props to you now that's becoming a little bit more commonplace. But back in the day, that was even a new arena. And, um, we, I had a person, I had someone from HSLDA on a podcast here about a year ago. We talked about record keeping as dull as that sounds as a topic. It was actually super helpful and practical because the idea was, Hey, as parents, we can easily build a portfolio just by stuffing things in it as we go. So that for example, with my son, when he was in eighth grade, I kept all of its standardized test scores. I kept an essay sample, a research paper sample, a math sample, whatever. So it's all in there. So when it's time for us to transition to a public school or a community college or job, like leading straight out of community college with no proof of G, like whatever, you've got this nice packet to hand to somebody that's already made up and goes, hey, here's proof of how I think and how I communicate and what I've learned and yeah, and it helps so much,
0: so much. And so for my kids in high school, they each had their own high school binder that they actually helped create, and it mm. became a learning experience in and of itself. Right? Yes. They got to see the their progression. They got to decide which writing pieces samples would go in there, and that was really uh, a wonderful experience for them too.
1: It's confidence building. Yeah. Yeah. They see what they've accomplished. Okay. So early on um, in our conversation recently, you and I connected on this view that we want homeschooling to be a place that welcomes people from all backgrounds. And we believe any parents capable of teaching or directing their child's education if they need help with the actual teacher part of the content. And we want to support parents in whatever method of education they might choose. So to say that differently... I've got my own faith and political views. You have yours. And while that influences our conversations with our kids at home, my beliefs are not a prerequisite to homeschooling or listening to this podcast or reading the book or any of that. So what was your experience early on in finding community as a homeschooler? Because you didn't exactly fit the mold uh, either. And how do you see families building community now? Or what advice would you have for them if mm-hmm. they're like, man, I don't really wave that flag. Can can I find
0: a people? Um, what would you say to them? Well, it's the 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 landscape has changed so much, right? Because when I started homeschooling, there wasn't the internet, so yeah, you, know, you couldn't. There weren't Facebook groups. You couldn't find each other easily, and so um, for local groups, um, we did have some challenges because um, there were a number of faith based co ops here. But our family is Jewish and I couldn't sign that, you know, mm-hmm. statement of faith. And so we ended up kind of pooling together with a small group of other families who were interested in the Waldorf approach or hands on like experiential learning where we um you know, took hikes and made nature journals, or we, uh, you know, got together once a week for a story and an activity of some sort. And that actually turned out better for our family, I think, because my kids were better suited for small groups versus a lot of the co-ops are really quite Huge. large.
1: Yeah, <laughs> goes back to the intimacy number we were just talking about of eight <laughs> families right. or eight, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that actually worked really well in the for for the boys. And then there was a 10 year gap before my daughter came along and so we also had a small a Waldorf inspired homeschooling co-op for her early elementary years and then when she was in middle school I actually started a co-op that was just a, you know, open to anyone Uh, kind of a group and and it was your traditional setup where it was big you know there were 60 50 families or something and we met in a um social hall of a church and each parent either assisted or taught a class and it was that was a great experience too so uh You can find your people. And I think the easiest way these days is by, you know, you can do a search like Facebook group, Northeast Ohio, and Mm -hmm. see what comes up. Um, That's just where I happen to live. But uh, local and regional groups you can find. I just just like to caution people against doing too much outside the home. And so, yeah, I think like choose, you know, I call it an
1: anchor point. What's the anchor for your week? Like this is what we're going to, we're going to, you know, live or die by going to this co-op and everything else is negotiable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. And don't like take museum classes and do a co-op and do this and you know, because it just can get to be too much. I remember meeting a family once who uh, described themselves as car schoolers because yes. yeah. they went to a different co op every day of the week. And I thought, hmm, I, that does, I mean, we all do. It super- sounds
1: bananas to me. Yeah.
0: But like, and, but I'm I am introvert, be so I get
1: that maybe, yeah. maybe the extroverts just super love that, but regardless of whether the parent is the introvert or the extrovert, or even the children with their tendencies, yeah. I, I think there's a value to, to having an afternoon of rest. Like I know some families who set aside one day a week, like let's say it's Wednesday We're like, we're not going anywhere after school is out, yeah. which sounds crazy for people with kids on sport teams and you know, I know flex, make know. it flex how you can. But, um, just to pick a day where you're like, whew, we're going to catch our breath. Cause there's a lot of running, especially if you get more than one kiddo, we have four and we're trying to consolidate sports, but even then ages groups, different minds. You know, uh-huh. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So
0: well and I think my attraction to the Waldorf approach which we'll get into in a minute a lot of it was that idea of you know preserving childhood and just slowing things down a little bit right yep. we don't need to start academics with 4 year olds and we can <laughs> we can play outside in the mud some yes, days <laughs> Yeah. So let's
1: dive into that. That's a nice yeah. segue. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, Waldorf approach. So we lived in a pocket of California at one point where this was hugely popular as a learning method. Some of the big names that Waldorf is often contrasted against that you know well, but you know might be new to our friend listening is Montessori, Classical Conversations, and Charlotte Mason. You could mm-hmm. probably write a whole thesis paper <laughs> describing <laughs> the differences and the histories between all those. So to the best we can, like, could you give me a a quick description of each of those others, sure. and how they are slightly different, and then we can focus a bit more on defining what Waldorf
0: is. Yeah, yeah, and just r- remind me, and um, well, I'll just mention it now. So I've written an article. There's uh, a blog on the iHomeschool Network. Okay, um, that it's a it's a blog we're different. Uh, homeschoolers write articles, mm-hmm. and I'm a part of that network. And I've written an article comparing, uh, and you can just go to the iHomeschool Network and search. Uh, it's comparing homeschooling methods, and and so what I would say about these different methods is um, that, especially. Montessori and Charlotte Mason and Waldorf, and some people might've heard of Reggio Emilia, which is mostly for younger up through kindergarten. What they have in common is that they're very experiential, right? They honor the individual child. They were created for, for that purpose, right? To bring out the the best in each individual. And they, um, they tend to honor that uh, the development of the child, right? The mm-hmm. stages of development of the child. They're different in their sort of delivery of the approach. And the differences I would say is that Montessori um to those who are listening, if you've never visited a Montessori classroom, it is set up with um, shelves of beautiful materials. And so it's often described as the children work independently, but the materials help teach the yeah, stations.
1: They have state, I was Montessori yes. for a bit, so stations everywhere. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then with um, Charlotte Mason, uh, she developed a method um, whereby homeschoolers, it was specifically for homeschoolers, actually, and then mm-hmm. schools developed around the method, but we're, we're each subject, there is taught in these short segments of maybe even 15 minutes, right? And, and you do a little bit um, to to keep the the learning, kind of the academics moving along. You do a little bit each day. Um, and in Charlotte Mason, there's this concept of living books. And that idea is that the books help do the teaching. So in Montessori, mm-hmm. it's the the materials. In Charlotte Mason, it's the books. And in Waldorf, it's the human. <laughs> it's the person. <laughs> nice it's, way to break them down. That's good. Okay. Yeah. So there's still wonderful books, like the 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 um, most new material in Waldorf is brought through stories, so fairy tales and legends and then stories of the first people who came, who settled on the land where you live. And then even through ancient history up to modern biographies and autobiographies of even mathematicians and scientists and things like that. So a lot of new material is brought through story. um, But it's really the the teacher who is is holding the space, right, for for all of that learning and, and directing it. Um, so that's brief, that's a brief kind of description (laughs) of all three, you know, there's no one right one. And I know plenty of homeschoolers, including myself at different points who, who, um, take what works for them from pulling elements from, yeah, 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 for sure. And I think
1: one of the things that impressed me uh, when I, you know, back in the day when I was studying teaching techniques, was Maria Montessori developed her program for kids in the slums. Yes. Which is so crazy because it's now like the rich kid thing to go do. I know. But that- that's who it was built for mm-hmm. um, so that kids could teach themselves at home or learn from what's around them. And like, anyway, that was fascinating. Even Charlotte Mason done very frugally. So, um, you know, for friends listening, we have families from a wide variety of backgrounds here. Just because just you hear these big names doesn't mean – money. Doesn't right. mean you have to have a lot of money to do this. Um, there are affordable ways to go about it. So, so let's look then at like just some specifics Waldorf approach. What does that look like? Um, with homeschooling, you know, you got a family with multiple ages or the same table. Is it the sort of thing parents could try or take elements of, uh, to weave in and out for different learners? What would you think? For
0: sure. And so I'll just tie into what you just said. A, a lot of people, their first introduction to Waldorf is a Waldorf school. And if you walk in, you might also, I mean, these mostly are private schools. There are some mm-hmm. public charters around the country. Um, and around the world. But if you walk into a, a Waldorf school, it's often you're taken by the beauty of it and these incredible natural materials. So wooden toys and, um, you know, silks and be all. It's beautiful. Right. Yes. The setting, And so a lot of uh, homeschoolers are. Attracted to that, and then want to kind of replicate that at home, and then are overwhelmed by, oh my gosh, this is expensive. <laughs> that is beating so- kit costs what? Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so to me, that's not the the most important aspect of Waldorf. Like that is not required, and even yeah. in the very first Waldorf school. Steiner started the first Waldorf school 100 years ago, right after World War I, when he, when he saw that his, his country of Germany was just decimated by the war, and he wanted to bring about cultural and economic renewal. And so the kindergarten in the very first school, first there was no kindergarten in the first school, but when they opened it finally, those kids played in the rubble right in the backyard Mm -hmm. behind the school it was, they did not have, you know, these beautiful play frames and, and tie-dyed silks and, you know, they just uniforms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, And so um, to me, the, the Waldorf approach is really about, I like to describe it as an approach to learning that incorporates Uh, rhythm, the concept of rhythm, which I'll explain in a second, um, child development and the arts into the lessons themselves. And so, uh, and yes, a parent can, um, start small, right? Start wherever you are and begin to learn and, and weave some of the aspects of it in. So, uh, Rudolf Steiner, the kids make their own books. And so Steiner um, talked about his main thing was to combat abstraction. He, he went and he was asked to open this school for the children of factory workers. Mm-hmm. And he went and observed in classrooms in all over Europe uh, in preparation. And he came back and said, you know what? the teacher stands at the front of the room, room. Does it sound at all familiar? The teacher stands at the front of the room and delivers information. And it's so abstract. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, we need something different. And, and that's where the idea of making it very hands-on and very experiential and bring the arts into the lessons so that there's drawing yeah. and painting and movement and poetry and, uh, music and all these different arts as part of the lessons because he felt like that's what will help children connect, right?
1: And so when you're saying children are making books, you're talking like a lap book that they're putting together based on the book they read and the map of where it was from and like author, what she looked like and yeah, all together. So
0: it's often, you know, and kids make these books, they're often blank books, right? It's Mm -hmm. called a main lesson book and children will um, you know, the, the teacher, the parent teacher, you know, generally this is the rhythm that I was talking about. So the, this two day rhythm of a lesson is a parent reads a story one day, and then they do together with the child, some, uh, artistic experience which is often making a drawing right related to the story and then the next day retell the story and write up a summary and so that short summary even starting in in first grade is how children learn to read so yeah. it's and that it, value of narration
1: I think is probably yes. pretty consistent through a lot of successful learning platforms like yes. yeah we see it yeah. used frequently
0: yeah yeah before. And then those books develop and, and become, you know, uh, all kinds of things can go in those books as kids learn and grow, right? And mm-hmm. so research projects can be written up in there and photos of projects that kids have done and all of that, Um and they become actually these beautiful mementos of the year too. They're a really good. It's great for kids to look back and see what their main lesson book looked like at the beginning of the year and how their writing has progressed, or mm-hmm. um, you know, different things like that. And my kids, I mean, we have the whole their whole collection of main lesson books from the time they were in first grade through eighth. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, that's that's a beautiful thing. So definitely, parents. Um, I would say, uh, learn about the lively arts. Come listen to my podcast, the art of homeschooling podcast. And I have pod, you know, episodes on rhythm and the lively arts and, um, you know, all the, these foundational concepts and, and then just begin to weave some things in. That's a great way to start.
1: Okay. So then this would be a great time to mention taproot because (laughs) this picture of Waldorf is somewhat philosophical and maybe even abstract for, it's funny for something that's not supposed to be abstract. You're like, I still don't get it. Um, So I know you get a lot of questions from parents wanting help with the logistics of what is Waldorf at home or on my kitchen table. Can you tell listeners here, what is taproot? Who needs it and how can they find you?
0: Yeah, so it's really fun for me because this is how I kind of entered into the world of becoming a homeschooling mentor. Was I was a presenter at the Taproot Teacher Training um, that now in its fifteenth year. Mm-hmm. So uh, for thirteen years, the Taproot Teacher Training was a live summer weekend in the first weekend in August, and then last year and again this year we're online. Um, it was developed by my mentor Barbara Dewey and. Um, so I was early on, I was a presenter. And then about seven, six years ago, I took on, she passed the baton to me. So she still presents and comes. Mm-hmm. She's now in her 80s. and uh, and she, But uh, I'm the organizer and the host of it now we have it's a wonderful homeschool teacher training right yeah. and um and we've made the transition to online i think really well hopefully next year we'll be back in person but um because when we're in person it's really an amazing community experience yes. we needed a summer camp and it's a really beautiful a lot of personal shared yeah, yeah that's good friends. is made. but taproot
1: being organized largely around waldorf
0: Yes. So it is, I would say it's Waldorf inspired. We've had a lot of people come not, I mean, every year we have some people come who aren't um, really that interested in the Waldorf approach, it can translate into unit studies, you can weave it with other uh, approaches to, but the beauty of Taproot is that it's a group of presenters. This year we have twelve who all have experience homeschooling, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I love so much about it because it's kind of like your, you know, your your good friend who's just a little farther along than you are on the journey, and so we have. Th- both a live weekend online on Zoom, right? But a live weekend, August 5th through 8th, as well as a whole library of pre-recorded workshops. Great. And it really covers everything you can think of about the Waldorf approach and beyond, right? Okay. There, there are other topics too that. So it it might um Think of like circle time and math and science, language arts and history, of course, all those main topics. But also holistically, main, how are you pulling them together? Right. That's your. Yeah. Big part yeah. And then yeah. and then also, you know, painting and drawing and how you would use those arts for particular grades and particular topics right in in your teaching um, movement games, puppetry, music, um supporting kids with learning differences and, uh, and then nourishing ourselves, of course. And it's mostly for grades. There's kindergarten and then grades one through eight, but we also have a couple of workshops for high school. Okay. So if they want to find you, is it taproot something, something.com?
1: Where do they get you? It's,
0: it's art dot com slash taproot 2021.
1: Okay. That's awesome. So if they they hear,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: So if they hear about this and it's
0: 2022,
1: they can still go back. It sounds like not only try to attend in 2022, but you've got a backlog of articles and podcasts and, you know, recorded sessions. They also can take advantage of, right?
0: Yeah, well, we we only open, it will close, registration will close at the end of July for TEPROOT 2021. So register um, for that one, or you'll have to wait till 2022. But um, <laughs> okay. yeah. But it, we are going to, in 2022, now that we've all learned how to do these online things, we are going to have both an in-line, I mean, an in-person event and an online. Okay. Um, so people will get to choose next year.
1: Okay. And when you and I talked ahead of time, because I'm scrolling through my questions, realizing I didn't put in one of the questions we talked about asking, which oh. was difference between project-based learning and holistic hands-on learning. Did you yes. want to hit on that real quick? As long as we're talking Waldorfy stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I would say that you can weave, like you can integrate project-based learning with Waldorf if you want, but there are some differences. So project-based learning, and there's a, there's, there are a lot of people who are teaching that approach too, right? And so that is really about, um, designing, it's, I think of it in a way like unit studies where you're taking a project that you want to be the anchor, like you Mm -hmm. were saying, and then building all the subjects, right, around that project.
1: Yeah. So for example, I, I know a family who, with five kids who were one of the trailblazers of homeschooling in our area, and each year for eighth grade, they would let the student pick a country. And they would spend the entire year studying everything about the country, economics, language, history, literature, geography, the whole thing. At the end of the year, they would do a volunteer project in that country. And this was not a wealthy family. They really saved to make this happen. And they would go and live on site in an orphanage or wherever and volunteer for a couple weeks and see a few sites and then come back. So is that what you're talking about with... Yeah, project
0: and that is a great example because that could dovetail quite easily with the Waldorf approach, where you are looking at these um, kind of the different ages of your kids and how you might um, expand their learning related to this project. So, if you have a you know a second grader or a third grader, you might be telling stories of uh, the the First settlers in that culture, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then, if you have, you know, fifth graders, you're beginning to really study the history of it. So you you can be doing multiple ages at the yes. same time that you're doing that sort of thing. And I actually know Walter families who who have larger, you know, maybe they have five kids or six kids and they do a theme like that for the whole Correct.
1: year. It would be impossible to like one kid at a time. They all have their own kind right. like unless you have private tutors for each of your kids. Well
0: that's, just, and that's uh, I know. Uh, I, yeah. I say I I I never have had more than like doing two separate preps in a day in me, and and I can't even do that all year. So some months I've got to be combining things in in order to make it work. And I will just say that our most successful year homeschooling, I think, was – Um, The year that we knew in the spring, we were making a trip to Jamestown and Williamsburg. And so Mm -hmm. almost the whole year we were reading, it was our year of really studying explorers, but that was the the kind of uh, container for studying explorers. And it became a very project-based kind of year.
1: Yep, an incentive. One year we camped yeah. uh, for a summer, and so we studied the Lewis and Clark Trail and yeah. explorers, and then we went and camped a couple places on the trail. And very inexpensive, kind of a you know. But there's yeah. every every community has a local option like that where yeah. It doesn't well, have and cost so a lot, what I would
0: say about trying to like how how do you make that be Waldorf right for people who are interested in that? It's really. And even people that wouldn't call themselves Waldorf might already be doing this. But you would be incorporating the stories of the people involved, right in and the in the history, and um, verses and learning poetry and music that's related mm-hmm. to that era and that event, and um, doing some painting and drawing and map making, and you know, just weaving all the arts into the lessons. Um, that you are are helping you prepare for that event, right? Yeah. Or the how much can you test, yeah,
1: experience. Yeah. How much can you touch, see, taste, smell, feel from what it is exactly. you're studying? Yeah. 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 Okay. So then when you look back on homeschooling, what are some of the highlights for you? You know, what was life-giving? Maybe what would you change if you could go back and talk to your future, your past
0: self? <laughs> yeah, I would say life-giving, a couple of things. One is how much I learned along with my kids, right? And yeah. that I know is not really what you're asking, but it, I always say- No, it's good. To parents, this is as much a journey for us as it is for our children. I'm right? glad
1: yeah. you said that because so many parents say, Oh, I could never teach my kids at home because I don't remember anything about the Civil War. It's like, great. Guess what? You're going to read it to them. So it's going to come back to you.
0: <laughs> well, so a funny thing, people, parents would always say to me in the beginning, I, I could never homeschool. I don't have enough patience. And I'd right. say, I hear that a lot. I don't have patience either. Isn't that funny? But <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm practicing. Mm -hmm. That's what I used to say. I get to practice patience. Would you like to be someone with more patience? Great. Then
1: be a parent and teach your kids.
0: Right. Spend time with your kids. Um, So uh, highlights, I would say, were... I love the third grade year in Waldorf. There are certain kind of topics that are recommended for certain grades um, that are developmentally matched, right, with with the child. And I have found these topics to be just so spot on. And Mm. in the third grade, there is a year of studying um, really food, clothing, shelter, that kind of thing. And so when we did shelters, we made dioramas of different shelters from really different cultures. And then we took photos of those and put them into the kids' main lesson books. And we just had so much fun with That, that is right? awesome. Yeah. That's something they remember and talk about now, I'm sure. Yeah. And that's, that's, it's so interesting now because now my kids and they're, uh, especially that, so my boys, my oldest, his girlfriend loves my podcast. <laughs> Good. is so sweet to me because she talks about how much she loves hearing the stories but also she's a an occupational therapist and of a, a pediatric. So she works with kids and is very committed to play you know it's kind of play <laughs> therapy. And, and it's just fascinating to me what her, the takeaways are for her. I love having conversations. We should have it. her come back on the podcast. That would be
1: fascinating. <laughs> I know. Uh, I've I had know. therapists come on at different points and talk about it, but yeah, th- there's yeah. yeah, there's a lot of overlap. It's, yeah. Again, it's back to that holistic word we were talking that about. That whole anything.
0: Anything you would go back and change? I wish that I had um, felt more confident Mm-hmm. uh earlier on right because i feel i had this uh, this fantasy that i if i could just freeze my kids for 5 years and go learn everything i needed to learn and i had a master's degree like what a yep. funny concept but i just i i didn't know it felt like such a big responsibility to yes. decide to homeschool my children and i didn't know how it was going to turn out right because none of us do um and So that's one piece of it. I wish I'd had more confidence. And I also wish that um, I'd just been more willing to try things, right? Um, I was pretty willing, but as in the beginning, I felt like I I needed to kind of be an expert, and you know have everything I needed lined up, and it was yes. the teacher in me, and I just as soon as I was able to begin to kind of lighten up and. Allow the learning to unfold, and as opposed to feeling like I was the director all the time, things so glad you said that yeah. went so much more smoothly. <laughs> because again, this speaks to why you don't need a teaching degree
1: to homeschool. Yeah. If anything, sometimes it gets in the way of what we expect the classroom to, to be like. Yeah,
0: I had to yep. unlearn so much. Yeah, yeah, it's so different. It's it very different. So subtle, but it like. Looking at the children in front of you when you have three or five or eight children is so incredibly different than trying to design the learning experiences to get the majority of a group of 30 kids up to a certain level. It's so completely different.
1: Yeah. And so then how long do you, how many years do you feel like it took you before you had your sea legs, right? You had your confidence in terms of teaching, you'd worked out the kinks of what your flexible structure looked like during the day and where you're going to find curriculum. I mean, all those, the top 10, 15 questions
0: every homeschooler asks, um, how long did it take you? It's such a good question. And I will say probably about four years, five years But I will also say that just like learning with kids, it's not totally linear. So I would go back to, um, you know, feeling like, uh, I just need to buy this curriculum and follow it to the T. And then I would try that for six weeks and it didn't really work. And then I'd realize, oh no, I'm the one who gets, this right. there's no I'm teacher the- in the box with the curriculum. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. I think that was the big shocker for parents coming out of COVID. They're like, you know, they ordered their, they, they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to homeschool during COVID. And they order their curriculum, super excited, open the box. It's like, yeah, there's no teacher in here. So there's so much more to homeschooling than curriculum. And so, and yeah, you're so right with the four years. I feel like most of the parents that I've mentored over the years are somewhere between five and eight. So you're on mm-hmm. the bright side that you're like four <laughs> no, okay. years. Uh, because unless you were homeschooled and are used to that lifestyle, or I don't know, have been in the homeschool community a long time, there's no way that you would know all the, the stuff. Like, for example, how many times can you switch math curriculums before you end up with gaps that are precarious for your kid's math education? That's mm-hmm. not something newbies know it's why they gotta hang out with mentors like you, right? Or this is why I made homeschool expert because um, it takes a while to build that confidence because it's so much trial and error, so -hmm. much reinventing what somebody else somewhere already invented. And it's like, look, let's just, let's make this easy for parents. Let's yeah, some handlebars early on. Um, So yeah, we've got our video series. You've got a mentor program. We're going to be shuttling some people to you as well. But after they watch it, they're like, Hey, I still have questions. Super talk to Jean <laughs> or one of these other 10 people who all have different, you know, approaches and experiences and yeah, have you, cause it doesn't need to take four years anymore. Cause now we've had decades of homeschoolers stacked up behind you ready and willing to help. Whereas before right. when you were teaching and even before that with my mom teaching, you know, there, there just wasn't help because nobody had tried it before.
0: Yeah. It's so true. And, you know, we, we don't, there is no just one right way to do it, just like there right. is no one single curriculum, right? That yep. is going to be your answer. That's really just the starting point. And, yep. and the learning, you know, this is what I so often say is that the, the learning actually, the curriculum actually isn't that that grade level package that you bought, the curriculum is really what happens, what takes place between you and the child. And mm-hmm. so it's um, it's important to recognize that it, it goes way beyond the plan on a piece right. of paper. <laughs> I've seen parents with limited resources give an excellent education
1: with like a math book, a library card and a reading list. Like that's all they had because that's all they could afford. And still- so many good things that you can do with just that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what final thoughts do you have then, Jean, as we're, as we're wrapping up and thinking about friends listening who are new to the idea of homeschooling or still new to the idea of Waldorf? Like, what would you want to say to them?
0: Yeah, I I would like to say... You can do this, right? Homeschooling <laughs> is a legitimate option. Yes. And and that there's no one right way, as we've said. Um, and then just finally, that confidence actually comes from taking action. Mm right it doesn't come from thinking about doing it it doesn't come from you know listening to how other people have done it or purchasing yet another curriculum yes. which <laughs> we've uh, all did, right? yeah it, it really comes from taking action so in the beginning it's more about having courage and conviction and and faith that this is the best choice for right now for you and your family um, that's really the starting point. And then you just have to give some things a try, right? And mm-hmm. see, observe your children and see how it goes and make adjustments for their from there. And in fact, that's what teachers in classrooms do too. Correct.
1: We're always retooling and retweaking. And yes. And just like as parents, none of us knew how to parent until we became one. I feel yeah. like parent teachers is very similar. It's very similar. Yeah. Well, very fun thank you so much jean for joining this conversation today it's been so helpful to hear about your work with waldorf honestly i didn't know as much about it so i'm glad to have uh, listened to your experience there and i'm super grateful for the resources you're working so hard to provide for families nationwide so i hope people check you out through taproot and the art of homeschooling.com thank you so much ann this has been great My pleasure. And thank you, friend, for joining us today. I hope you're walking away from this conversation feeling more equipped to teach the ones you love. See
0: you next time. Thanks for joining Anne Crossman on our podcast, helping you homeschool confidently with help from the experts. You can do this, and we are here to help. We invite you to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date on the latest resources. See you next time.